full-blown panic attack in my car, which is where I tend to have them because I'm all alone. And um, Alan and I used to do a lot of road trips together. And I just picture him next to me in the seat. And I can see him asleep as he tended to be. <laughs> and his hand on my leg as I was driving. And I, I that's like a really clear image that I can conjure of him when I need to. And so I just talk to him, which is, you know, helpful on some level, but I've heard that widows often hear their loved one talking to them like a second voice in their head, kind of being their voice of reason or like finishing their sentences, but I don't, I don't do that. I mean, I, he's not there. I make him up. I put his voice in my head, but because it's my voice, it's not necessarily doing much except just making me a little more crazy than I already am. <laughs> I was talking to my therapist the other day about how I'm really worried about losing pieces of him. Time is, you know, inevitably going to erode him. Erode him. You know, like wash him away, like bits of sand. And, um, you know, his face is already starting to blur for me. I start losing pieces of how he looks and sounds and... I keep conjuring up memories to try and, you know, keep him fresh in my mind. But even those are pieces of him that I remember because they're coming from my point of view. And it is really challenging for me to realize that he doesn't have control of his own memories and the way that he is remembered and his legacy. And who lives, who dies, who tells your story? The point is, we don't tell our own stories. We can't. I mean, we can do it up until we die. But then we can't. No matter how much I keep him alive in my own way, I'm never going to keep him alive in his way because I'm not him. And that's what I think the crushing loss of someone really is, is it's their ability to be and all that, and all that, that means. Yeah, he's not alive and he's not with me. He doesn't get to hug me and hold me and tell me he loves me, but he also doesn't get to, like, comment on the weather or, you know send me a meme about Trump. And that's really hard when the person's like a piece of shit dum-dum, but Alan was also really, really smart and uh, unique. And uh, he had a lot of really brilliant opinions that sometimes I couldn't even follow. I would look at him and say, you're really cute, but I don't know what you're saying. He wrote a giant essay. I'll find it and read it to you guys sometime. But instead of doing the um, like ALS hoodie ice bucket challenge, whatever that thing was that happened for a while, on Facebook, he wrote he wrote an entire thing about how he was going to just be in a hoodie and talk about being black in America, and let's like not fucking put buckets of water over our heads and let's like really solve problems and like that was his brain and such a waste that that brilliant brain doesn't get to think for itself and 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 let other people hear their thoughts. I can't do that justice. I can tell you that he would tap his toothbrush eight times on the sink before he went to bed and that. He would make sure that we made eye contact and blew each other a kiss before he turned out the light. But I can't tell you his thoughts on Donald Glover's new music video. Childish Gambino. Sorry, that's his name. Like, I can't tell you because I'm not him. We are not each other. And that's what I think they mean when they say that we all die alone. Ooh, does anyone want cake? Yikes, yikes, yikes. <laughs>
hey, remember when I was like, Christmas is hard. And now, little did I know that January was just around the river bend to fuck my ass just around the river bend. Oh boy. This month has been a whirlwind, whirlwind tour. Um, here are the things that I did. I did 13 straight days of tech for a show called Peter and the Starcatcher with children that have my freaking heart. Close that show. We get through it. It's all done. Plus, I was moving. Let me tell you something. It is not easy to move. Anyway, everybody knows that. Moving's the worst. On top of that, it was an emotional journey for a lot of reasons. Duh. One is I'm leaving the home of a dear friend of mine who opened his house to me when Alan died and we had a year of time together and our relationship is not where I want it to be. We were so close when I moved in and I think the options were either stay that close forever, which like odds are not good that that's always going to be the case because you ebb and flow with friends and you sort of, you know, dip down and then come back together unless you're dating or married to them. And even then, right? You'd you have been flow. I don't know. I've never been married. If I can rub it in, why don't you? Anyway, or the second option was to grow apart. And I don't know that we grew apart. Um, I don't quite know what is going on. Um, but anyway, if I'm being really honest, because that's what this podcast is about, I sh- and I probably, I'm not going to talk about it a ton because I'm not going to pretend I know what's going on in his mind. But like the first part didn't happen. We didn't remain close. The second part, happened and we grew apart. Regardless, I was leaving this house where this this house where I had all these beautiful memories, getting drunk and laughing so hard, staying up till four in the morning, analyzing every feeling that I had. And it was really hard for me to walk away from this like literal safe haven, this cul-de-sac in New Jersey that kept me at bay from the reality of life moving forward. It was easy for me to stay kind of hidden and sheltered. But because of the kind of person that I am and the person that I want to be, I, I'm getting an apartment in the middle of South Philly. I've never lived in South Philly before. I lived in Fishtown and Alan and I felt like it was Philadelphia, but no one would ever come visit. I mean, we had some friends who did, but like it wasn't as easy because no one really goes to North Philly. So I walked out the door the first day I moved in and ran into people I knew. It was like an extrovert's dream. My body was like buzzing and tingling with the excitement of knowing that I could hang out with people within walking distance. I'm nine minutes away from two of my favorite people. Like, it's just a joy. But it meant lugging all these boxes that I have not opened since Alan died. Because, as you'll hear, I never went back to the apartment after Alan died. I couldn't. I don't feel good about the word couldn't. I probably could have. I didn't want to. I sort of felt that if that day was the last time he walked out of that apartment, then that I wanted it to be the last time. I walked out of that apartment because from here on out, there was nothing we were going to share anymore. So like, I might as well try and do what I can to make things the same with us as best as possible. I don't know that kind of, how that makes sense. But anyway, I didn't want to go back in. So, um, I hadn't been back there. I still haven't been back there. I like drove by the other day and it hurt to just like know it was there. So I wasn't, I'm not planning on walking in anytime soon. Um, But anyway, I haven't seen a lot of this stuff because even moving the boxes in was just like, okay, that's going to go in the back, in the attic, away, and I'm not only going to deal with the things that I need immediately. Which, like, is a really great lesson in what you actually need. I went a year and a half with, like, a third 
of the things that Alan and I own. I didn't love it. I knew I'm what I was missing. I still don't have it all, even though my apartment is filled to the brim with boxes. It's two people's worth of stuff in, a, in one person's apartment, an apartment I'm never going to share with Alan. But now I'm mentally, it's like the biggest metaphor. It's not even a metaphor. I'm meant like I'm unpacking the grief and letting it roll over me and crying when I see like a certain whisk or that he had a snow cone maker or bottle caps. Like these things are cobwebbed in my brain because I've seen the same stuff over and over and over again. I've been safe in this year and a half. But he is in my life. He's in my stuff. There's stuff I don't even remember if it was mine or his. And he's not here to tell me, so like, it's mine. <laughs> Just kidding. But it's so weird. And it's really emotional and it's really vulnerable. And like, I thought that I'd want people to come over and help me unpack. I thought that I'd want people to like, hand me glasses and put them on the shelves. And some people I do feel comfortable doing that with, but Sometimes I just like need to be alone to process that that these are things that he's never going to touch again. And maybe the last time he touched them was like right before they went into this box. It's like gets very CSI. Like, should I dust for fingerprints so that I could like <laughs> have some remnants of his DNA? It sounds so stupid, but I actually want to do it. I might Google like how to. <laughs> it's not easy. And uh, I know my mom, when she moves in here, moves in. <laughs> oh, God. No, mom, that was not an invitation. Bye, see ya. When she comes to visit, the first thing she's going to want to do is, like, sage the apartment. She burns sage to ward off the demons and the spirits because she lives in the crucible. But I don't want her to because, like, I'm particularly fond of one spirit that's very tall and blonde, if spirits can be blonde. And I'd like him to be around here, even if it is in the form of, like, the beast master dvds and like an xbox the ghost of him is all around in like the furniture and the stuff and it's hard to be surrounded by it in a way that i haven't been for a year and a half so that all happened this month along with my work life and it's just been very overwhelming and i don't like to feel overwhelmed i like to be busy but i don't like to be stressed out and i don't like to feel like i'm underwater because I pride myself on being the kind of person that is available, emotionally and physically available for whoever needs me. And this month, I just really have not felt that. I haven't had time. And then like friends of mine are like, are you mad at me? What's going on? And it just is like, it stresses me out. They're not stressing me out, but like my, my brain is immediately wired, hardwired to guilt. So I start feeling like I haven't been there for the people that need me or the people that want to come and help. Like, if you want to come help me unpack, how dare I not say, of course, come over. I guess what I didn't realize is that the grieving process is a lonely path sometimes, whether or not you want it to be. Like, I would give anything for my friends to come over and help me, but I also know they can't because it just, it has to be something that I do on my own. We can take shots afterwards. Oh my God, I found tequila of his. It's like, it's just the most mundane ridiculous stuff and that's the stuff that is the hardest because it transports me I feel like if I looked at that tequila bottle long enough I would blue skidoo inside of it and like be back at our apartment and he would be like shots shots and like turning up music and laughing and clapping he just used to clap out loud to nothing just like get his energy out I can just like feel him and I think when people say oh like don't you feel him around me I feel him I don't know what that feels like I know what it feels like to feel what I think it would be like if he were here. But fuck that, because he's not. So why, why do I want to be like, yeah, 
He would be right here next to me. I feel him right next to me. No, I fucking don't. And that's the point. Sorry, I need to yell. I just, like, got heated for some reason. So, here I am in this apartment. I made my bed. Martha, my friend Martha came over and Marie kondo the shit out of my stuff. That's the other thing. It's like, sparking joy is now this, like, trend. I almost said this fat trend. Thinking, like, fat with a PH. Like, who gave me permission and why? Like, I got so mad at myself just now for my brain. I'm looking at my color-coordinated closet, which Alan would, Alan would be bowled over. He wouldn't know what to do with this. The fact that it's color-coordinated. I mean, I'm not organized at all. I haven't made my bed in years. My bed was on the floor for a year and a half. It's on a bed frame right now. Like, who are we? I mean, I just, like, was living in squalor. <laughs> a grieving woman's squalor. And now I'm, like, literally lifted up off the ground in a bed that's made decluttering, keeping the things that spark joy and keeping the things that spark sadness because that sadness is also joy and it's a reminder to me that the, f- the feelings are real and that I need to like hold on to them. But you know, there are certain things where I'm like, I don't need to, f- this tissue does not spark joy. Um, also, it's probably disgusting. So, but yeah, it's like a weird thing to feel a little bit more put together even as I'm feeling like I don't have a handle on my life right now but that's okay I'm also like having such perspective because a dear dear friend of mine lost her sister and it's been like giving me this whole fresh perspective on Alan and like causing not even like I'm not even like triggered because like anything triggers me it's just like she now understands death in a way that I hate because I don't want her to understand it that way but it's been like comforting is the worst but like it's been comforting to have her say things to me that, like, I've already said to myself to feel like, oh, okay, that that instinct, that immediate thought crossing your brain is not the wrong one. And it's not one that no one has ever had before. And that's also happening. So, like, we're really sad. Like, work is a really sad, vulnerable place because we're just feeling so much for this dear, dear coworker who is going through this mess it's an emotional clump and it's a reminder that I feel like we often get that life doesn't get easier and it's certainly there's no guarantee that it's gonna just keep going up and up and up it's not like one of those graphs it can it can hit rock bottom again and that's really devastating because you want it to just be like okay that was the one thing that I did that's the one bad thing that happened to me and so not that (laughs) and finding optimism and joy is is good and I do find that I am so happy to be in this city and I am so happy and grateful to the people in my life who have celebrated that with me and who are excited for me to take this big step understanding that it's moving forward in a world without him it is making a conscious choice and a decision out loud to say but I can't live with him again. So here she goes, out on her own, by herself, living in an apartment alone, which she's never done before. She's talking in the third person, so everything's changed. I just am really grateful for the people who have offered all of their time and services and friendship just to come and hang with me, and I promise you I am going to take you up on it. I just need a little bit of time, which it feels like I've had a lot of, but that was a different like it's a new phase of Janine think of me like the moon do you know and like I'm in a new phase
Anxiety is a real thing, y'all. It is no joke. I didn't really realize how much it affected me. Um, when I was in grad school, in about 2009-2010, um, I had a professor of directing who was literally the female equivalent of Mad-Eye Moody. She had like long stringy white hair that like fell on her face. She had a cane and she was very large. She would just like come in and like plop and be like, good morning. And she'd be like, Mad-Eye Moody. Um, anyway, this class, she had asked us to pick someone in the class that we had known just a little bit because it was their first year of grad school and write down things that the top 10 things that we would say to describe that person just based on interactions we've had with them. Um, and my friend Peter, who became a good buddy of mine, but at the time was, you know, we were just sort of more acquaintances. He picked me and he started writing things down. And once I got the paperback, I saw like things that I usually see or hear about myself, not to brag, but it's like, you know, loud, <laughs> funny, big personality, bubbly, positive, smiley, you know, those things. Those are things that I've always seen my whole life that I am used to seeing. And the last word that he used to describe me was neurotic. And I was like, what the fuck, Peter? I was like, neurotic? How fucking dare you? It's like, and you get defensive and you're like, no, I'm not. And he was like, it's not a bad thing. And I was like, in what universe has neurotic ever been used to describe someone in a positive way? He was like, you just like, you, you get nervous that things aren't going to go well or that things aren't going to go a certain way that you have in your head. And that's a little neurotic to me. And like, I got so mad in my head because he had hit something really true. Like it rang true like that. I don't do it in a way that like affects other people. I don't think, I don't think I do. At least I don't, I hope I don't. I know I did it in a way that affected Alan, but I spent all my time with him. And I know I do it sometimes to affect my, my family, but like, it really just affects me. Like all my neuroses about, and like guilt that is constantly plaguing me. Um, I just like eats away at me, but it was the first time that I ever thought of myself as having like a quality that I never, ever would have associated with me. Like, neurotic? Like, that sounds like someone who, like, always has to have her pens facing the right direction or, like, color code her books. Like, not me, who, like, barely makes her bed in the morning. But there definitely are neuroses that I have. I definitely need things to happen the way that I need them to happen. And it's, it's also all into this anxiety portion of my budding adulthood that is, like... It's ripping me apart. So um, I moved recently uh, from Jersey, and I have my own apartment, which is giving me all sorts of feelings. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I'll unpack something really ridiculous. Um, and the last time I saw it, it's so like I unpacked a bowl of bottle caps that was the last time I saw it was on our hutch in our in our kitchen. I can tell you exactly where it was in my apartment with Alan. And now the next time I'm seeing it is I'm unpacking it in my new apartment that I'll never share with him. And they're fucking bottle caps. But I could see him opening a beer and flinging a bottle cap into the bowl to then recycle it later in a can because that's how you recycle bottle caps. Don't ever think otherwise. But so now it's sitting here in my new apartment where like, he's never going to know about or set foot in. And so there's just a lot of emotion and, and, and lots of stuff going on. I'm taking my time and trying to work through it. But 
Anyway, during the course of the move, I strained, tore a muscle in my chest. It didn't present symptoms right away. I was just bustling around. I had a lot going on. It's been a hell of a month. And then lately, like the past week or so, it's been like annoying me, like pressure in my chest, pain. Um, When I like rotate my shoulder or twist my body, it has um, like spurts of, you know, like surges of pain. And then I, like a dodo bird, went axe throwing with my office, and that didn't help, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, it's been really bothering me, and it's, my left arm has been starting to tingle. So naturally, I'm dying. Now, you have to understand that this is coming off of someone who is traumatized by the fact that her 31-year-old healthy boyfriend who had knee surgery, knee surgery that wasn't needed, it was like just preventative to help his, it was to help but place his knee that was, you know, annoyingly just for his own benefit. No one asked him to do it. Anyway, the point is he was super healthy and he died of a blood clot to his heart like that. So like I'm dying clearly. And I just keep having, I kept having these images of like me talking to someone and then keeling over. And that's like the fucking last thing that I said to them or like, I've been going on it. I'm, going on a date with I've been going on these dates with this guy and like what if he's texting me like how's your day and I never fucking respond because I'm dead now (laughs) and I know that sounds insane when I say it out loud but you also have to understand that like that happened though like that actually did happen to me and that happened to Alan that he was texting me and telling his mom he didn't feel so good and then he died So, like, I just want to make sure that we're all clear on that because it's something that I have to remind myself when I'm, when I'm saying these things that I do feel crazy about, but at the same time, like, nah, 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 like, you write on some level. So anyway, I have this chest pain. (laughs) It's been bothering me. I'm tingling up my left arm, which, like, every fucking movie you've ever seen, you know that that means a heart attack. I saw Meet Joe Black. I know what's up. So, whatever, I'm looking up hearts and I'm looking up heart attack pain in women and of course, it's like jaw pain. And I'm like, well, my jaw has been a little sore. I did chew gum and it did feel a little, it was a little weird. Okay. And then I'll say like, you know, dizziness. And I'm like, well, right now I'm sitting, but if I stand up, maybe like, I don't feel good. So I'm causing myself a lot of stress and anxiety, not helping. So this morning I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the GDER. I can't sleep. I'm so stressed. I this has been not going away. Worst case scenario is that I fucking die at this hospital, but at least like I've put myself in and I'm, so I'm like going to the steps that like Alan went through, right? Like this is big. So like, this is what Alan did. He like was not feeling good. He was sweaty. He took a shower and then he called 911 because he was like, I don't feel good. So already I'm feeling a little bit better because I have called a lift. <laughs> I didn't call 911. I called a lift. So, you know, Steve's coming to pick me up in a Camry. He's one minute away. And I'm like, you know, making sure I have everything. So already I'm feeling like a little bit like I have my shit together. Maybe I'm not dying of a heart attack. Okay. So I get to the hospital. I get to the ER. And I'm panicked. And it's like also like, I, this is money, right? Like, I don't have good health insurance. I work in a nonprofit theater industry. Like, nah. So like, this is going to cost me. Is it going to cost me a shit ton of money for someone to tell me that, yeah, you're right, it is a little strained? Fuck. But also, like, I can't keep feeling this way, and I have to, like, go about my life, and I can't keep thinking that I'm going to die. Like, I just can't. 
So I go to the emergency room, and uh, they see me right away because chest pain is like, you're fucking get out of jail free. You just zoom right through. And uh, he's like, how bad is it? And I'm like, well, I'm not, when I'm not moving, it's not bad. But when I'm moving or like trying to lift something or like walk around, it's like a six or a seven. And he's like, I'm going to say seven. I was like, okay, great. Get me in there. Everyone's nice. I have this beautiful Jamaican nurse who I love. She's very sweet. But then she starts telling me how grateful she is that I didn't go to Hanneman Hospital because they never do anything right at Hanneman Hospital. Guess what hospital Alan died at? Hanneman Hospital. So already I'm like, she's like, your, your heart rate's going up. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, yep, 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 it is. She's like, well, I'm glad you're here. I'm like, oh, God, I'm here. I'm glad I'm here, too, I guess. Great. Uh, she's like, you came in before the snow. I was like, yep, sure did. Am I going to die before the snow, do you think? She's not listening. Um, so they're taking all my vitals and my blood pressure, which, spoiler alert, I have high blood pressure. It's genetic. My mom works out three to four times a week and is a baller and has high blood pressure. So, like... I don't do those things and was like, oh, great. So I eat a ham sandwich once and I have, a, I have blood pressure, but it's anyway, it's in my jeans. So I have high blood pressure and I'm on medication, but it's like really, really pumping. And she's like, it's really high and I'm really worried. And I'm like, well, I'm really worried because I think I'm dying. So do you like see how like maybe my blood pressure may rise? <laughs> so <laughs> she takes my blood work. She's doing all this stuff. Then I remember that I had a pot brownie yesterday. And by pot brownie, I mean a Rice Krispie treat. It was real good. I panicked because she just did my blood work. And you can hear the monitor being like, and this nurse comes in. He's like, babe, whoa, whoa. He didn't call me babe. Didn't call me babe. Just want to make sure, like, a lot of shit went wrong, but he did not harass me like that. He was just, like, sweet. He was just like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, I just remembered that I had weed yesterday and you took my blood and he started laughing which is really great when you're like thinking you know you're gonna go to jail and maybe have a heart attack in jail for your doctor to laugh or your nurse to laugh and he was like don't worry about it that's not what we're checking blood for and like yeah maybe I maybe I knew that on some level but like let's just freak out let's go full throttle freak out while we're here he's like so just take a deep breath no one's gonna no one's worried about your weed and I was like okay so I took like three deep breaths heart rate's back fine and they're like, we need an x-ray because it's not, your EKG came back, your heart's great. My heart's great, y'all. My oxygen levels are high or whatever they are to be normal. Everything's normal. My blood work is stone cold normal. Just, t- just see Austin, move aside because I'm taking over, okay? Don't know what it means, but that sounds good. My blood pressure is crazy. And it's because of my anxiety. Like, you're putting me... I was back in a hospital... I mean, I put myself there, right? But, like, you're asking me to go back into a hospital. The last time I was here, I was. I saw my the love of my life starting to turn blue around his neck. Okay? So, fuck everyone. That's the last time I set foot into a hospital. And now here I am on the other side, all alone. I mean, by choice. Like, I'm sure someone will come and see me if they want to, but I'm by myself in this hospital, trying not to be anxious, trying to lower my blood pressure by not thinking about the last time I was here, okay? So like, you tell me how I do that because I don't know how to do that. And I'm pretty good at a lot of things. So what do I start to do? I'm like, okay, my stepdad's texting me. He's like, think of, think of funny thing. He's like, think of me in on stage singing. I'm like, nope, no thank you. He's like, think of your friends. I'm like, yeah, I love them too much. And it's making me nervous. Like, what if I never see them again? Cool, cool, cool. So then what I start doing is I start mapping 
the roads that I would have to take from my childhood home in Lewisburg to my friends' houses. So I started thinking about, okay, if I want to go see Aaron, I would have to make a left. I would make a right on Newman, and then I would make a left, a right again on William Penn. Okay, this is what I'm doing in my head. I haven't done these routes in years. And I'm thinking about how to get from Aaron's to Courtney's or to Maggie's to Kaylee's, going through. And then my doctor comes back, and she's like, everything's good. Your blood pressure is still very high, and we want to make sure that you are looking at that. But we're going to give you some dosage to get it down. Go see your doctor. Your chest just put I just put a heating pad on it. Here's the thing, y'all. The most the most triggering event, right? And like how I would go down in some sort of medical lore, or I would just be like that girl that someone once knew who died of the same thing her boyfriend died of a year and a half later, right? Like that's what I was thinking was going to happen because like why not? Like a, like a grown-ass, healthy, adorable man who was looking forward to marrying his girlfriend in City Hall in October. If he could just fucking blow out like that, could just be snuffed, then, like, why the fuck wouldn't I, like, get the same complications a year and a half later and die? Like, it's a Ben Folds song. It's the fucking end of the notebook. Like, why on earth couldn't it happen to me? I don't want it to. I love him, but I don't want to leave this world yet. And I know that this is, like, veering into something a little wild. But, like, it's important to take stock of that because, like, it took me being able to say living with this anxiety and living with this pain is better than not living for me to get a fucking grip on the anxiety. Do you know what I mean? Like, this world is important. And we are important to each other. And I think when I, when Alan first died, I said to myself, okay, well, death doesn't scare me anymore because then like the alternative, like the worst case scenario is that I see him again. Right. But I don't fucking know that. I absolutely don't know that I could die and just be, it could just be black forever. And like this, that, this part, this life part was the funky blip and eternity is the rest of it. Right. Um, but, I, but so I used to say to myself, death isn't scary because death could mean reunion, right? But like, I don't know that and I don't want it. And that's what I think is really hard is that like, I ache for him in my bones and every fiber of my being. I wish he could be here. I can't even tell you, words don't do anything justice. I could rip my skin off, I still wouldn't do it justice. But I'd still rather be alive in the community and the life that I'm living in my new apartment, unpacking bottle caps. Right? Like, that's still the choice. Which does two things. It makes me hopeful that I'm going to get through whatever this is. And even though it will always be here with me, like, the good times are still coming. But it also makes me really, really sad because... I bet Alan would have felt that way too. I bet he would have been like, yeah, it's, it's worth living, right? Life is worth living, and, like, he didn't get to make that choice. And so, like, I'll live with these anxieties. I'll do my very, very best to try and calm them down, try and map my roots of, you know, childhood, and take deep breaths, and remind myself that it is another reason 
to be thankful that I'm alive. I'm a bill. I'm a perfect bill of health, minus the crippling neuroses. Oh, Peter, I am. Okay, closing this out. First of all, I have a cold because, like, no one mourns the grieving. <laughs> You can get sick, ain't no thing. So I'm gonna spare you this gorgeousness and uh, give you some recommendations like I am trying to do. Recommendations that have nothing to do with grief but probably have some underlying subconscious thing to do with grief. First up is Pen15 on Hulu. Y'all, if you are my age or like in the four year radius, uh, you have to watch it. It is about these grown women who are, thir they're playing 13-year-olds in middle school in 2000. Uh, the soundtrack, the outfits, the gel pens, it's just fantastic. You have to watch it. Um, I've been, like, cooking, I think, and using this app called Mealline. Not sponsored, not sponsored, not sponsored, but like three people don't listen to this. Um, M-E-A-L-L-I-M-E, -L -L -E, like, like, puts the lime in the coconut. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, like, silence of the lambs. I meant it, like, puts the lime in the coconut, but it came out, like, triple to the lime in the coconut. <laughs> <coughs> oh, no. Um, anyway, the app is called Meal Lime, and what it does is it's, like, you can click what type of diet you're on, or, like, vegetarian, pescatarian. For me, it was, like, pasta only kidding um and then it like generates meals that you might want to make and then you click them and then as you click them it generates a like by it generates a by grouping like grocery list so like all your meats all your spices all your dairy like all of it in like categories which is my actual dream so I don't have to think you just go to the grocery store you get everything that is on the list and you can make the meals and it, I've been doing it for the past two weeks which doesn't sound like a long time, but, like, it has been awesome. I just made this, like, chicken, mushroom, asparagus dish. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm a meal prep app and a nostalgic show on Hulu. I think we'll just leave it there. Um, and also, like, getting together and being cool with each other. Just, like, hugging everyone, telling everyone you love them. But, like, that's usual. Anyway, thanks for listening yet again. I'm sorry this took forever to make. I'm trying to do one every month and then maybe get that down to once every two weeks. I don't know. She crazy. She ambitious. She in a new apartment. She in a new phase. Um, thanks for listening and tell someone you love them and go get some tacos. Bye.